This morning I'll read from James chapter 1, verse 26 through chapter 2, verse 13. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the, the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Howard Brown, the pastor. Thank you, Mr. Bobo. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, let me just give you a reminder of our midweek. Um, which is our, the teaching ministry at Christ Central, and um, which has really become not only a teaching time, but a fellowship time. I see people talking, hanging out, eating together, kids playing together, running around here while together, and that's a good thing. Um, and just so you know, we have made it as convenient as possible for you to come out during midweek because we take seriously that this is part of what it means to disciple you at Christ Central, to train you in the faith, to give you what you need from the Word of God so that you can learn to enjoy God better, right? So you can learn to love Him and each other better. And so we take it so seriously that we're going to provide a meal for you, child care for you, teaching in places for every single person in your family to go on Wednesdays. And I have been very disciplined in it. I do not go over, right? One hour of teaching and it's a lot of participation by you guys and it's just been a real blessing 
to see those who have come, and it'll be just adding to that blessing to see more of you there on Wednesday. So um, midweek, Wednesday, starting at 5.30 is dinner. 4.30 is kids if they want to come and have um, their, um, what's, what do you call it, study hall from 4.30 to 5.30, 5.30, 6.30 dinner, and then 6.30, 7.30 are teaching time. So hope to see you guys at midweek. It's been a great blessing, and I just can't believe it's our church out on Wednesday night. That, that's a sight to see because we don't do that. So, and Sundays, of course, is the day all our community groups meet. So find one in your part of town, part of town and be there. All right, well, let's get to the word of God after that public service announcement for you. This is a hard one. <laughs> like anything we've done in James is easy. Hadn't been easy for me. As we continue in this sermon series through the book of James, we begin to dig into the thesis, more into the thesis we saw James put down for the rest of the book in verses 26 and 27. And it gets thick and thicker once we leave chapter 1 and into the other chapters like we are today, moving into chapter 2. Where James starts to give specific examples and, and applications to the call for pure and undefiled religious living from those who call themselves Christians or believers. And in this situation before us by James, apparently when the church gets together for worship or gathering or church meeting, of some sort, maybe even a church court proceeding. That you know, that this is a situation going on in the church. The Bible says that two men come into the gathering. One dressed fly, right, with all the name brand clothes, the rarest kicks, all edged up with a fresh cut. This is the Howard Brown version. And then another brother with the thrift store special, smelling a little wingy with the odd natural salt and vinegar corn chips cologne. I know that's how y'all talk. That everyone at that point flocks to be attentive to the blinged out brother and tells the shiveled dude, right, to just hang out over here or just sit in the back of the room or on the floor somewhere, preferably in the overflow room, downwind part of the room. But this story, this picture laid out by James and updated by me is, is more than anecdotal, right? Vine-like, on to the next clip. This is who and how, unfortunately, we Christians can be. We have and keep and seek and pay attention to those whom we feel show and hold benefit for us. We show partiality. We exercise favoritism and it comes out in how we treat and minister to each other as the church and in the church. And as God's earthly representatives and children, we are forbidden and then corrected by James in this area. 
There are two things we must take away from this teaching today to begin to repent and be repaired from favoritism and partiality in and outside of the church. First, we must recognize that favoritism or partiality is a sin. And secondly, that biblical love will save us and redeem us and restore us. This may have come to a shock to many of those who received this letter from James, and even more shocking, how seriously James takes favoritism and partiality as a sin that the church has to deal with. It's a sin that not only dishonors humanity, it dishonors God. Look at verse 1 and then verses 4 through 6, just for starters. He says, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lord of glory. And then down at verse 4, it says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. And not the, are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? James is saying in verse 1 that partiality is at odds. It sits on the opposite end of your faith in Jesus. And then he goes on to use a play on words in verse 4 when he says that when we show favoritism, we make distinctions among ourselves. Of course, he is saying that you distinguish one person is better than the next. And then you judge then with evil thoughts. But understand that, understand that this word distinction picks up on a verse you don't have in your reading. Verse 8 in chapter 1, when it talks about the double-minded person, whom I believe is not a Christian, right? He is saying, when you make distinctions between rich and poor as far as equality and treatment and justice is concerned, it is a reflection of you having a split personality, right? Split between, between claiming to be believers and not a believer, believer, right? And to take it further, he might even be saying, I'm not completely sure, right? That when you show favoritism, you're distinguishing yourself as being an unfaithful believer or not a believer at all in how you treat people. He's taking this seriously. Because you have shown yourself when you do this to be filled with an evil mind and thoughts. And then in verse 6, he says that you dishonor the poor man when you sow favoritism like you do to the rich man and, and how you treat the poor man, right? Dishonoring context here would mean that you have taken, right? Taken honor that he had or should have been respected for when he came in. The way you favored the rich man over the poor man was a misappropriation of God-given honor, not just because the poor man is a fellow believer chosen by God, but because he, just like the rich man, is a human being honored to be made in the image and likeness of God by God. 
In fact, he takes favoritism as such a serious sin that he purposely later in this passage brings up the breaking of the commandment of murder because dishonoring someone or over-honoring someone is, is murder at its core. And James says here that if and when we do this, we are not just unclear or have a blind spot or slipped up a little, but that we have and are acting like lawbreakers and convicts of God's law to love your neighbor, to be prejudiced and, this, this, and then dishonor another human being is sin. It was a proud day at our General Assembly, which is the full gathering of our denomination, the PCA, when we affirmed together that, because we have some Southern Presbyterian roots, and theologians that said, it is true that the black man is lower than the white man. Yes, theologians who write those great systematic theology books and we think, man, they understand God so well, wrote that stuff. And, and even made it part of the political theory that the South should have adopted because of what the Bible said. Supporting slavery. And the only way they could justify supporting slavery was to make a distinction between people because of skin color. And they used the word of God to do it. And I remember our, at that meeting, it was, it was a time of tears and, and celebration and even liberation for people who could finally say, we repent, right? We were sinners. This was wrong. This kind of thinking has never and will never be correct. But oftentimes it's been, oh, it was a blind spot. A blind spot? The word does not allow us to use that term. It's sin. It's murder. It makes you a convict of God's law. Let me dig into this a little bit more. The word partiality, when you break it down in its original language, means to receive the face. James is saying, don't receive the face. <laughs> to react and pay attention or give attention to how the person looks or how we, with our own glasses, stained glasses of prejudice, look upon the person. To show favoritism is dishonoring to both the poor and the rich because it says, I am going to treat you publicly and privately and declare out loud or, eat loud or even decide internally in my actions and thoughts that you are worth something or less or more than something to me or us in this world or God because of what you are wearing, able to deliver, how you make me feel about myself, the goods and services you, you, you provide, both real and emotional, both economically and socially, both physically and culturally. See, partiality falls short of God's full intention because, honor, because it honors the skin more than the soul. The house more than the home, right? The zip code more or less than the community. The gender more than the humanity. 
So stuff like classism and racism and sexism and ageism and intellectualism and materialism and physiqueism, right? And the many other isms that show up in and outside the church are forms of favoritism and should be considered deadly and serious sins. But before we lose traction where John wants, James wants us to go, because when I started looking at this, I started thinking about all the isms we had. Let me reel it in by telling you that verse 27 matters here. About visiting the orphans and the widows. This dishonoring he is talking about in particular is dishonoring those who are most often dishonored and mistreated and overlooked and run over by a sinful world. Who, like he says, right, in in verse 6 and 7, those who are dragged into court by those who are rich and and, and mean and, and evil, right? This is the kind of dishonoring James wants us to focus on today. But this is not just a sin because it dishonors humanity, but more so the God of humanity. Look with me again at verse 1. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. By using that wording to talk about Jesus, James is saying that upholding the faith is about Jesus' glory. And when we show partiality, it is a sin against his glory. But a clearer indication of how dishonoring it is to God is verse 5 and 6 again. Look with me. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? The Bible is saying God chose to save the poor. And disenfranchised and widows and orphans among us. Now I want you to think about this because this is hard. The world never picks those people. The world is designed to reject those people because they're not good for your kingdom. They bring no money. They bring no power. They bring no sense of authority. They don't have the background. They don't have the resume. They just come needy. And scripture is saying something very incredible. And it was more incredible for them to hear that back then, that God is choosing those folk, the disenfranchised, the widow of orphans among us, you know what chosen means? It means picked out from among a group of people. The fact that there are poor, rejected by normal society, could be a burden and drag on your image, time-consuming people around you. To be honored and loved is because God has chosen them to be equal representatives and heirs of eternal life. I mean, think about it. Even today, most of the church is not rich and popular and famous. Sometimes Charlotte can trick you. 
just, just go like 40, 50 miles outside the city. <laughs> away from the suburbs, away from the gentrified cities. Lots of churches. Little one-room churches, right? Go to some other churches outside of, outside of our denomination, right? Who's there? Think about the church in America, right? Most of the church, they are not the coolest and most honored people. Never have been. It would make sense that the most competent and top performing and smartest people by the bell curve of the church should be the bell curve of the church considering the investment and payoff at the end. But instead, the church is mainly filled with the could have beens and should have beens and socially and economically broken and despondent and discontinent and poor and can't get ahead and can't get rights. And these people are the kinds of people that God has chosen to be the face among the faces of our faith to honor with citizenship in his kingdom and robe them invisibly, but truly with the robe of righteousness and holiness. And how dare we dishonor whom God has chosen to honor? We can't cross God's choice and think we are not sinning. We can't say, glad you chose them, but I choose to not honor or visit or care or watch out for your choice of, of that type of person. In fact, he says in verse 7, to dishonor those God has chosen who don't add up in the world's assessment as valuable is to what? Blaspheme the honorable name of Jesus. That means to lie on and about God to the world. Let me look at verses 8 through 11. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Sorry. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who has said do not commit adultery also said do not, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Prejudice, favoritism, partiality breaks the royal law. It is treason against God. And that makes us outside of the law that God has put in place. That you and I are just like the murderer and adulterer and thief in God's eyes when we mistreat or overlook or look down on his own and our own and humanity's own. Let me share with, you, share with you at this point in this message that this was a very hard sermon for me to put together. What God takes seriously, even as a pastor of a multi-ethnic church, I don't as seriously as he takes it. 
just this week while studying this passage, I mistreated and didn't treat with proper honor someone. It was stark. It was real. I was prejudiced because they didn't fit. They weren't going to be able to give me what I really wanted. They weren't worth my time. I want you to be careful. I have to be careful because sometimes I think because I'm black, I can't do this. But I do it a lot. Driving in the car, seeing people. I just don't want certain people around. And I don't want to be around certain people. As a pastor of this church, it's very, very difficult. Because I will tell you, in my mind's eye, sometimes I have a vision or a picture of what the right kind of person for Christ Central looks like. I have to be careful. This happens to all of us. You know, one thing I learned as I'm going through James, he just kind of brings these little sins, well, big sins, that we consider little. And it's almost impossible, right? It's like, what's he doing to us? Man, I was having a pretty good Christian life. I've been in the conversations. I got a black friend. tell people all the time, some of my best friends are white. Right? I hear stories. I even have to tell people so I can feel better about myself as a black man who grew up middle class. I even had a white maid. Y'all know that? I had a white maid. Does that make me okay now? I've had my white friends, yeah, I've had a, I had a maid, and she used to talk to me and love me, so I understand, right? We all make this stupid mistake. But God takes it very seriously. I thank God that he's given us some hope, even in this passage some hope and guidelines in the call to love our neighbor. Partiality and favoritism and all the isms and prejudices, passive and aggressive, are redeemed and cured and healed by biblical love. I sure hope it's true. Because like you, I have no other hope outside of the love of God. Look at verses 8 and then verse 9 again. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The way James lays this out, he is saying that loving your neighbor is a counter, y'all. 
It's a prescription, right? The, the opposite of partiality. And so what James is doing is he's encouraging us, right, that this is, is more than just being nice to people who are not like us or, you know, or, this is a rallying cry, if you will, right, uh, to subvert and fight the powers of oppression outside and inside by our upside-down favoritism fighting love. This is not just a don't-do thing. This is about doing. This, is, this love your neighbor is an act love. Look what happens here. Let's go back to verse 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled. This is verse one, chapter one, sorry. Before God, the father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God tells us that true and undefiled religion, now let me give you an update on what religion means. It means the spread of God's kingdom through his people, his church, as they live and act out their faith before him and towards and with other people in the world around them. And God is using that to change what is impure and unholy and unjust and not good and changing it for the better, sanctifying it and hope, making it holy and just for people and systems. Do you see how the Lord is going to intend for us to be used to change this very prejudiced world socially? It's very interesting how he's going to do it. He wants us to love and honor, that is, have an eye for the poor and disfranchised. To unlike what happens in verse 3 with the rich man, right? Who has it all together or is on the up, right? That we should actually pay our attention to how the socially broken and discouraged person is treated. Why? Because of what verse 5 tells us, that God has gone backwards on us. He has chosen to do what? To save those who are poor and give, make them heirs of the kingdom. The word chosen is ironically very partial sounding. It means to choose from among the rest and bring to yourself away from others to be special to God. To be chosen, I'm sorry, God has chosen the broken to salvation. He has a special place and reason for saving the poor and broken of this world in his plan of changing and redeeming the whole world. In fact, in saying, using the word but in verse 6, after this verse about dishonoring the, the broke man, he is saying he has chosen to honor the poor against a world that naturally will and does dishonor them. That part and central to the supernatural work of God changing our lives and family and society, that's everybody, of what will one day forever be the ethic of God's eternal kingdom is what he is doing here on earth by honoring and by bestowing his honor and having an eye and special draw on the poor and socially broken against what the world is doing. God is laying in the groundwork. For the ethic, right? The stuff behind the law, not only of his kingdom here, but of the future kingdom that we'll live in forever. It's going to be upside down. It's going to be the opposite of what we see here. And he wants us to start in it now.
In fact, in verse 8, the call to love your neighbor, which if they are socially or justice broken in some way. Now hear me out now what love means here. Will require a looking out for them, a focus on them that you don't give to the person who has it together who don't need as much, that this is what it means to love your neighbor. It is a summary of Jesus' commands to those, and more than that, uh, more than that, his mission for those who follow him. When he talks about the thing about the rich people dragging the poor people in the court, he's talking about something that happened. And I look back at the history of things in Roman Greco times. Man... If you wanted to make more money, if you wanted to, to make sure you had all the land you needed for, you know, a nice, you know, apartment complex for new urbanites and all that, right? The people you would drag in the court were the poor people. And so he's saying, you know what? In, in our world, the poor, the widow, the disenfranchised, they get used to keep the rich rich. And the rich take advantage of them. This is the way the world works. And so he is saying, let me tell you what the rich experience, I mean the poor experience. All the commandments under love your neighbor, right? They experience murder. They experience all kind of adulterous things. People steal from them, right? People covet with the little that the poor have. You know, and so he's saying, look at all the ways that they are being unloved. And when Jesus is saying, love your neighbor, after listing the widows and orphans piece, he is saying, I want you to do what it takes to create a system and world of justice for those who are unloved. It means we go out of our way. Right? To make and keep and hold on to a neighborhood. Not just talking ge geographically when I say love your neighbor in your neighborhood. With those who are different than us. And who will naturally and supernaturally require more looking out and work and struggle against our natural leanings and longing to serve and be with and make happy those who we consider equal or better than ourselves. Here's the summary here. God is saving the world and making his kingdom. That means his eternal heaven on earth, one day forever on earth neighborhood from the bottom up and not the top down. That's hard for us to hear. Most of us feel like we middle class. We think God's going to save from the middle. No, he's saving from the bottom up. Look who Jesus came to. Jesus was God. He could have come to anybody to build his kingdom. He went to a bunch of fishermen hanging out. <laughs> These people who go to work with their name on their shirt, who get called by the last name. Hey, you, move this, right? Th this is who Jesus went to. Jesus went to Walmart at 2 in the morning to look for his disciples. Third and second shift folks. Folk who get off at 11 in the morning. Not folk who rolling in at 9. Jesus wasn't hanging out there. God is not the God of trickle-down spiritual economics. Now, if you think I'm coming down on the economic theory, then you got kitty by the tail. My mom used to mean, say that. That meant you're chasing and grabbing at the wrong thing. 
My point is God is calling the church to be sure to show honor to and not dishonor those tagged as least likely to change anything. It is by loving your neighbor, the people God has drawn into our community, in particular here at our, at our church, the widows and orphans right here in this place first and then outside of this place too. This loves me. You and I have to stand up for the oppressed and fight and go, go what will feel like the extra mile against impartial treatment of the privilege of yourself or, or those who are like you. Get this, for the love of the poor and the rich, do this. We'll get back to the rich in a minute. It means to love. That is creating call for just neighborhood and community by choosing and asking, who are you going to do lunch with today? And dinner tomorrow? It means the love, right? That, that, is who, that is called for and create just kingdom neighborhood, but who you will listen to and have a conversation with and check on this week. It means who you stand up for on those terrible and disheartening and prideful and prejudiced blogs and posts on places like Facebook. It means how or whether you will let people overlook and mistreat you without confronting them and the church about being overlooked or mar marginalized as a person or people group in the church. It means loving the neighborhood of God enough to not allow it to happen to you or others. In this church, it means you might have to do the cage match of love. Where you get in the room and we just got to talk about it. And nobody gets to tap out. It's a cage match. I love it. But by the rules of God's love for each other. It means to love by managing and being sure, listen to this now, not to guard and hoard the luxuries of control and free time and entertainment against the socially and culturally awkward or hard to deal with or time-taking or always needy person or situation. It means love by being careful that you use our resources that, that will not in its tax setup or wealth building or stuff getting, will not harm or hurt or dishonor our brothers and sisters on the bottom in some way. God will and is redeeming all of society, yes, even the rich and successful, but from the bottom up, it is a ministry of loving our neighbors impartially who are in the world's eyes lower and different than we are that will save us. That is a sign that God is saving us and ministering to, to, to us, even those who have issues on the top. Our salvation, if we had a social, economic, or oppression scale, comes from the bottom up because that is where God has chosen to start and define the gospel. That God has desired to make the rich man become like the poor man in spirit. And the poor man like the rich in his standing before God. It's an upside-down kingdom. Welcome to the gospel. Right? Welcome again, because it is a reflection of his love, right? And here's where the widows and orphans and their treatment may have the greatest ministry around us. Because all we need to know about the love of God, because like, all of us need to know the love of God like that. 
like we justly were rejectable and still are, but God loves us anyway, right? That this favoritism and oppressive partiality will only be overcome and healed by God's powerful love for us all. In verses 1 through 7 in, this, in chapter 2, it is clear that he stands up for the poor and disenfranchised and against favoritism and calls everyone who calls themselves as people to join him. But like I felt as I was studying and, and putting this together, really condemned, there seems to be little freedom. And when we start talking about how we show favoritism, we do it and experience it so often. The lack of actively loving our neighbors and ourselves with God, given biblical orders of dignity, is so normal that it has become natural. And to try to live any differently or do enough to make change in us, much less the world, will take something supernatural. And let me tell you, guilt is a killer in this kind of stuff. Trust me, I've experienced it, right? So you get a bunch of rich, privileged, or socially on top guilty people in a room trying to fix and heal themselves of guilt, and all sorts of problems happen, right? Paternalism, bad welfare, right? Zoo-like behind the safety barrier feeding and handout programs. Rides for the rich kids through the Epcot centers for experiences with the poor, right? Treating people like projects and ironically even more segregation and self-righteousness because you have to tell everyone how you went to Africa, or how you adopted a kid outside your race, or how many black and white friends you have, or that you go to a multi-ethnic church. Or you have to settle to be recipients or objects, or the zoo petting safe other humans, right? You got to shuck and jive for society, for the socially elite, and those you wish you could be like in some way. And while all of that can be somehow and in some way good to love our neighbor and fight the forces of favoritism and classism, it is not what James or the gospel has in mind for us. I listed a lot of things. He wants us to know the love of God. And it's in large part why the ministry of God and us to the poor and disenfranchised in their honorable presence among us is a powerful ministry. Look with me at verse 5 and 6 as we get ready to close here. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich, and not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you in the court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? You know what the gospel tells us? That you and I deserved to be dragged into the court of God's moral judgment with how we have lived and squandered our lives and lived raggedy and poorly before him, but that if you are a believer, that guess what? He chose you and me. It was his choice, his love and eye for us, apart from anything we did or didn't do, apart from any higher underperformance. The Bible says before we were born naked as can be, it was before that 
before we had a face to be judged by, before we had or didn't have melatonin, before we, were, we received a, a, a paycheck or, or government assistance, before we lived up there or under there, God chose to receive and be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom, which means we were chosen to receive the love of God and he didn't have to look at our face to give us and make us part of the faith. Look at verse 8 again. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as, transgression, trans, as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law by, but, but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he, he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. He's saying God's people have all broken all the law by just breaking one, and partiality is one of them. We have all murdered and are all naturally inclined to show and want to be someone's favorites or be willing to accept the abuse and misuse because we fail to recognize what God has done. And we are sitting here with guilt that could paralyze and condemn and mistake and twist the actions of love and mercy and justice we are called to be a part of. So he gives us this hope in verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy mercy triumphs over judgment he is saying be motivated to show mercy and justice and love to your disenfranchised neighbor by the law of liberty and the mercy of God you know what this means that for all the mistakes we have made and making this part of our faith God has given us a law of liberty which will not only hold our feet to the fire but hold our hearts in his loving hands letting us know that God is merciful and patient and long-suffering of us and not putting us on a performance treadmill but is conditioning and challenging us and changing us not by guilt or condemnation or confusion but love so we are free to repent for mistreating and overlooking and accepting being mistreated and overlooked. We are free to go to God who chose us before we had a face, who will still love us and forgive us like people who have a new face, the face of Jesus Christ. That when he looks on us, regardless of what we have done, whatever we look like on the outside, that he will give us a front seat on the seat of mercy, that he will bring us in. And unlike the way they treated the raggedy poor man, he will attend to our brokenness and give us the honor of his forgiveness. And he will seat us on the front seat and never refuse us mercy and forgiveness for all we have done and let be done to us in the name of favoritism. God accepts the faces of our faith always acceptable before him and even though our behavior needs correcting always we're received with love even though we smell of sin and if he sees us in our face like that you know what we who have sinned and sometimes shunned his grace get to see his face too and it is filled with love and grace 
and eyes that see it in us. His faith, face, which are his religion to us, his visiting of us poor sinners through the power of the Holy Spirit and his magnificent holiness is the face of the gospel, the face of pure mercy and justice and valuing you, the face of love. That face of mercy and grace is powerful to love us and powerful to call and help us love our neighbor. So I urge you, and I'm going to get in the line too, to come and repent for your judgment. There is mercy. Lay down and confess your sins and burdens and be redeemed and be changed and be saved and be sanctified. All you who are broken in and by and with and struggling with the forces of favoritism and, and, and prejudice, face a God who favors and is partial to you. Because of his love for you in Jesus Christ. And guess what? That kind of loving kindness, mercy that God offers will overcome and triumph and change our hearts, our faith, our sin. And the way we face and see and treat the faces in our world. It's those who have faced and seen the mercy of God. You now bear the face of faith. Turn to your world with that kind of mercy that kind of grace. Why? Because you know it for yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all do this. Lord, I pray right now that you would save us and protect, protect us from condemnation. Blame shifting, anger, fear. It wasn't me kind of stuff and it was you and all kind of crazy stuff. And it's because people weren't responsible enough or this or that. Lord, please shield us in your grace. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray for my own heart in this. This is some dangerous stuff to talk about. We pray for an equally bold gospel to confront it and live in it. Lord, help us to know you chose us when you didn't have to. You sat us at the front of your kingdom when we wanted to sit at the back. Help us to show that same dignity and worth to others around us. This we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.